0: Welcome, listeners, to Experiments vs. Experience here on www.ironradio.org. Experiments vs. Experience is published as a special feature of the ironradio.org feed on iTunes and Podcast Alley about once a month. This is the show where a scientist, practical information and some uh, science, and a powerlifter,
1: well, the problem is the majority of the stuff out there is likely fake,
0: and sometimes some guests, a doctor, student and exercise phys. tackle tough questions sent in by listeners. It's the show that was created because science doesn't always agree with what athletes insist they know. Listen, ours is an epic tale,
1: true friendship, heart-stopping danger, men and women in tights, making the rules and breaking them. We are not two men. We are 10 men. Listen.
0: Welcome listeners to Experiments versus Experience. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry and I'm here with Rob Fortress Fortney as usual and we're going to follow up our talk about what is strong enough to compete. Uh if you recall last time we spoke with John Mike who gave us some nice rules of thumb about you know when you are strong enough to actually put your name on the dotted line and do a competition. But what now we're talking powerlifting right now so powerlifting competition we're not, yeah we're we're not talking about weightlifting or the, these types of events. Correct. Yes. And John was saying basically the 1-2-3-4 rule, which was just sort of a good bit of professional advice, that if you can military press one plate on a side, so 135, if you can bench two plates on a side, so 225, if you can um uh, squat three plates on a side and pull four plates on a side – then you're setting yourself up pretty nicely not to be embarrassed if you were going to do a powerlifting competition or, you know, John was talking about strongman and things as well. But Fortress is going to really kind of uh, focus us on powerlifting because what we did not talk about, and I think we're remiss
1: if we don't, is the, the qualifying rankings. Yeah, but Lonnie, before we even get to that, I'd like to just point out what I was saying to you earlier before we started recording this show that – you know, out of the hundreds and most likely thousands of meets, um, you know, either full three-lift meets or specialized meets that occur every year in North America, obviously the produ- predominantly in the, the United States of America, but in North America, you have to realize that, you know, in this generation of the digital de- generation of people with YouTube and so forth, I think a lot of people have a really skewed perception of what is competitive and what isn't simply because they're mostly, predominantly exposed to the very best in whatever federation they might be, um, you know, and, and just freakish lifters on, online. So they might, um, not realize that a majority of these meets are not, you know, um, showcasing guys who are, you know, bench pressing, you know, five, six hundred pounds and up and squatting, you know, six, seven hundred pounds and up and this type of thing. Um, and again, I think it 's very skewed, so those parameters that you kind of said before that John Mike was um, expressing while some people might be kind of you know uh, laugh a little bit about those you know numbers that you gave the truth of the matter is, I would think at most meets those numbers would be considered to be um anything but embarrassing
0: yeah <clears throat> well I, I agree I mean you know and again we 're in a in a field where I, not being a power i 'm you know not as equipped to discuss some of this stuff as you are i have not competed in powerlifting and some people think oh gosh you know he hasn't competed well no i have not uh now rob and i were talking before the podcast here that you know i would total some decent numbers i'd probably be around a class 2 or something as far as you know the qualifying rankings go uh at 198 if i dehydrated
1: down got under 198 but well, this is kind of leading up to what you were saying before. Before I kind of cut you off, um, and we, you were leading us into the whole discussion about you know the um, APF, the American Powerlifting Federation, and their qualifying rankings, um, which of course is kind of like uh, most people consider outside of the kind of more rogue federations, kind of a good ballpark, um, you know, uh, parameter for what is you know competitive and at what level. Um, and I think that's what you were leading us onto, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I, if you, if you look at these numbers, I mean, you get on the table, you know, you, you, you reach the lowest level category, the class four, uh, if I, I could use somebody of my size, roughly a 200 pound guy as an example in the 198 pound class. If you can bench, squat and dead combined 983, you're on the boards. You know what I mean? So if you just do that with real simple math, that's like around 300 pounds each. Uh, right. and you know, that seems very uh, uh, approachable. If not realistic for everybody immediately, at
1: least approachable, wouldn't you think? Absolutely, for sure. And the interesting thing about these qualifications is on both sides, like on the one side, it has to be remembered that when these I, i'm not entirely sure but when these were developed these kind of parameters and these numbers this was probably pre a lot of the more excessive and um advanced lifting equipment the gear the the lifting suits and so forth but on the same uh, on the on the other end of this you see you might say okay well it's outdated because of that but then again, you have to remember that the APF and those types of federations are much more stringent and, and limiting as far as what kind of equipment you can use. For instance, you can't use a lot of the um, multiply ply um, like lifting equipment and so forth that puts hundreds of pounds on top of individual lifts. Mm-hmm. But on the opposite end of the um, spectrum, you have to look at the fact that when these numbers were, again, developed, was it ever taken into account whether the guys who were doing this were drug free? Well, now again, you can say the same thing. Well, these federations obviously have uh, drug testing and so forth, but we know, a lot of you and I know as well as most of our listeners that you know there's w- lots of ways around drug testing. But you also have to consider were these numbers um, ever developed when you're looking at it as, as being totally raw lifting parameters. Raw being, for those who don't know, in powerlifting, raw is. Um, generally speaking, no um bench shirts, no um squat suits, no knee wraps, this type of thing. So um and I would be uh, I, I think it's it's fair to say that probably these numbers were never developed with raw in mind. So um again you're looking at both sides of the scale. So I mean um, if you look at guys like, you know, in the elite categories, in the, you know, the bigger weight classes, the 242s, 275s, 308s, and super heavyweights, a lot of those numbers, um, for somebody who would be a very, very, very strong raw lifter are very easily achieved with what, what would be considered today very, very limited support gear.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> I'm looking at the 275 group. And, you know, if once you start getting in the upper 200s, You know, mid and upper 200s. If, again, a real simple math, and I know this isn't exact, but if you can bench, squat, and dead a four, 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 right? That's 1200 pounds. You're on the boards. You know, you're, you're actually in, in one of these classes of, of competition. But Rob, I was wondering if you could explain uh, a little bit more about the raw thing. Uh, So literally, you can't even wear like an old school leather bodybuilder type lifting belt when you're in a raw meet or? Oh, it's
1: generally raw is generally considered to be a belt only. Okay, regardless so, of the so kind. Act,
0: they don't, they, okay,
1: yeah. yeah. I, it's pretty much universally accepted that raw means belt only. Only. But no, so,
0: not even knee warmers or knee wraps? No,
1: no knee um, – well, things like knee uh, warmers, I'm not entirely sure about things like that. I, I'm sure individual competitions and, and federations would be, um, you know, have to make their own rulings on things like that. But, yeah, generally speaking, no knee wraps, yeah, okay. no bench shirts, no lifting but suits. But any, uh, any belt, belt, belt is a go. Okay. Any belt is a go. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and I, think, I, I think that's probably wise, but – yeah and a lot of people don't know the difference between that yes there's equipped lifting um or support gear lifting and um and raw lifting and raw is just a belt only generally speaking so but i mean those things are i mean this day and age as we've kind of alluded to on on Past episodes of Iron Radio and so forth. These uh, support gear today, um, depending again on the the limiting factors of the Federation. But some of these more, I, I call them rogue federations, but I, I suppose that can come across as being demeaning, and I certainly don't mean it that way. But the ones that are more um, liberal in what they're allowed to use, um, certainly the federations that things like Westside and that um, what they compete in. Um, you know they 're using support gear equipment um, that literally adds hundreds of pounds onto their lifts i mean you 're looking at guys who raw bench um, you know five fifty six hundred pounds who are going eight nine over a thousand pounds you know with these multi um, ply um, benching shirts and and certainly you can add the same thing onto your squat um, anywhere from one to three to four hundred pounds oh, yeah and and even even recently um, the last bastion of kind of like a raw Lifting, which was the deadlift, even they have deadlift suits now that that can add lots of pounds to that. So, I mean, it, you, I think people have this really weird idea of what is competitive only because, again, as I was saying when I, we started this whole show here, that, you know, they look at some guy who, again, you're looking at some guy who, let's say, he's he's a strong guy. You know, in raw lifting, he can squat four, um, you know, uh, deadlift five, and um, bench press 350. I mean, you're looking at a guy, what is that, like 1150 or 1200 or whatever that is. I mean, if he's natural, drug-free, and raw, I mean, in a lot of these types of federations, I mean, you could literally put at least 5, 6, 700 pounds on this person's total just with the administration of some drugs and 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 learning to use this more advanced and kind of extensive equipment. So when you're looking at some guy who who raw and drug freaking total 16, 17, 18, 1900 pounds, you're looking at a guy literally that within the right environment, with the right you know quote unquote supplementation and the right support gear, could very well compete um, at the upper levels of of what you're seeing now in the federations like like um, the more roguish federations where, where places like Westside compete and so forth. And, and, again, that's not being demeaning to any of those lifters at all. I'm just saying that all these factors today have really, again, to use the word, skewed people's perceptions of what is strong, what is competitive, and, you know, what, what's a number to be proud of. It seems now everywhere you go, everybody has a tale of somebody that I know, somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who benches 900 pounds. Yeah. I mean, you, you, but you never really see that, and if you do see that, it's on YouTube or something like that. And these guys are, you know, behemoths and using tons of equipment, tons of gear, and are clearly far from being anything but drug-free.
0: Well, we've had guys on on the Iron Radio show, of course, that their opening squat attempt is roughly the same size as the total for Class 4, <laughs> you yeah. know, in their yeah. weight category. I mean, right. when you're opening with 1,100-pound squats or more, you know, I mean, the, the beginning of class four in the 308 category is 1127, you know, or if you're in the 275 pound category, again, these are big guys, sure, but your combined lifts are 1105 pounds, not, you know, just your squat. So yeah. I think that's sort of telling, right? I mean, when you, yeah, you yeah say,
1: and that's, and that's exactly why the whole kind of, um, and, and, Phil Stevens in one of the iron radio podcasts recently was talking about how there um, there really is a kind of a rejuvenation of a lot of raw lifting because um, the use of all this technologically advanced support gear and so forth in the last decade or so has reached such a degree that it 's kind of now creating factions of people who are you know um, making their arguments why it's, ex- not ex- I don't want the word acceptable, but why it's, you know, justified to use it. And guys who are saying, but that doesn't really, you know, you don't really know how strong somebody is, which is very true. Yeah, um, it is. is It's a different sport, you
0: know, because it becomes a combination absolutely. of man and machine instead of just a man.
1: Right. Right. Know? I mean, this goes way back to, I guess, what we had a year or so ago that, uh, I think it was called himself Dr. Bench, the Dr. Bench press or yeah, something like yeah. that. And he was talking about how, you know, um, powerlifting he thinks should still be pushing towards having inclusion in the Olympics, if you recall, Lonnie. And, and we were saying, well, you know, it's just, it's just too difficult at that point to kind of, you know, make those separation. He's like, no, it's really simple. He said, you know, you should have, you should have raw category, you should have, um, single ply category, and then multi-ply category. And my whole argument was at the Olympics, you'd have to have a full week of just powerlifting in the Olympics to get through all those classes. And fans
0: willing and, to sit
1: through it all. And, and, and let's face it, even 99% of people who even have any remote idea of a powerlifting won't have an idea of the difference between raw and single, and single ply and single ply and multiply. They don't know what the heck that means. Yeah. You know?
0: So, well, even uh, I wouldn't have a good handle on how different the numbers would be single ply versus multiply. You know, it, like what it, should it, I be it, expecting it, out of this 198
1: pound? You know, well again it depends on the individual and how they respond specifically to the equipment they are they're, they're using. I mean the, you know the same equipment's not going to have the same effects on two different lifters as is you know to be expected people are different and they have different weaknesses and different um accommodations and different gear but I mean let's be realistic. I mean you're looking at like a single ply, a basic single ply, you know, bench shirt for for instance. I don't think a lot of people are going to get I think you'd be pushing it if you think you're getting more than you know sixty, seventy, or eighty pounds out of the shirt. And again, this is I'm no expert on these types of things, but I really don't think most people are going to. I mean, I think that's pushing it. To be honest with you, I mean, the shirt I have that I've used, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe a couple dozen times just in training and so forth, I've never gotten anything. And it's not a particularly tight shirt, but I've never gotten anything more than I don't know twenty or thirty pounds out of the thing yeah. max. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, again, you're looking at a lot of these triple, uh, multi-denim or multi- poly lift, uh, bench press shirts, and people are training specifically to maximize those things. Because, you know, most of these shirts will give you more um, help in the bottom portion, which is where most people lose it, right? And they just try. That's why a lot of things like board presses and floor presses have really come into prominence is because people are using these this equipment and, and they really need to train their lockouts and so forth because so much of the stress and the lift and the poundage is being taken off the bottom end of it. So if you train well and you have a shirt that fits you really well and you train um, to maximize that shirt, I mean, it really is not unusual to see people who are raw pressing like, you know, three fifty four hundred pounds, and now they're doing well over 500 pounds, well over 500 pounds. In and, and in some cases, much, much more. I mean, you're looking at a guy like... Um, you know Ryan Kennelly or something like that, and he's—I mean, I don't know what his raw press is, but it's certainly—I don't think it's seven hundred, but it's maybe inching towards there, mid sixes. I mean, this guy is doing like you know, uh, over eleven hundred pounds in competition with his shirt. Yeah. So again, I mean, it's—it's it's, some people just don't do the simple math of this, right? You go—I mean, in this day and age with all these YouTubers seeing all these guys. And some guy all of a sudden says, yeah, I can total raw and drug-free 1,500 pounds. And everybody goes, boo. It's like, now hold on, guys. You know, like, you know, you you introduce a little bit of, you know, drugs into this guy's system and, and, you know, and allow him to work with support gear for, you know, six months to a year. And all of a sudden you're looking at a guy that's very easily going well over 2,000 pounds. Very easily. Yeah, I think it's very telling as as someone who does not compete in powerlifting.
0: I mean, I certainly appreciate strength. But when I see guys walk around in some of these shirts and, you know, they can't – not only can they not even pull the bar into their chest. I mean, they can't even pull it. To me, that's very telling, you know, that you – and again, I know there may be powerlifters out there going, oh, come on, that's not fair. Well. You know, they, it just seems odd to me as a bystander when I see guys like that walk around, their shoulders are drawn so far forward, pinched forward, that it almost looks absurd, you know, because the shirt is cranking them into this kind of weird anatomical position. And I don't know. It it, it just, that doesn't seem to me like, I'm just not buying the notion that those old school strength norms, you know, that people are just Orders of magnitude stronger than they were in the seventies. Yeah, we've had guests about well, no. that. You said that yourself, you know.
1: Yeah, and I, I've, I've, i Well, I mean, look at, and, and like I was saying earlier about the, you know, the last bastion of the three power lifts. You know, the deadlift has been the last bastion of rawness because there was up until just recently, there's really not been a lot of support gear that could help that. I mean, you know, in in opposition to or in comparison to the bench press and the squat. Um and even that now is starting to change. But I mean, why do you think it I mean, there was guys the best deadlifters in the world were flirting with over nine hundred pounds thirty five years ago. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just only relatively recently that guys like Andy Bolton, and I think I, I think to this day, I still think Andy Bolton's the only guy that's legitimately pulled over a thousand pounds. I think he did a thousand eight or something now. And I, I and so you gotta think to yourself, okay, like you know, pushing four decades later and the best of the best are 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 all and there's only one guy now that's over a thousand pounds, but guys almost forty years ago were playing around with the low nines, right? You know, it's human. I mean, look at sprinting or any high-performance athletic sport, right? I mean, it's the margins of improvement. You know, while they might be considered massive, you know, in a relative sense, they're very small. Whether it be sprinting. Or any of these types of things. So why is, why is powerlifting so different where all of a sudden, you know, I mean, you and I remember guys like Ken Lane, you know, remember Lonnie and guys like Anthony Clark, um, and these types of guys, and and I remember the whole race to 700, and then that got hit, and then I remember Anthony Clark was going for an 800, but he failed with it, and everybody was like, uh, I remember being freaked out when guys like Ken Lane and that were obviously, all all of a sudden making quote-unquote official 700-plus bench presses. That was freakish to me. That was outrageous. And we're only talking 12, 15 years ago, really, because now guys are well over a 1,000 pounds and in some cases are breaking 1,100 pounds. Well,
0: I think it's a lot like – I mean, that's insane. It's like bodybuilding in that people have their awe buttons pressed so frequently and so flippantly that they can't appreciate real – physicality. It's the same thing with bodybuilding, right? I mean, you know, when guys, when everybody's shredded at 270, well, the race for size is over. The quest for size is over. Or like you're talking about the quest for strength in a way. It feels like in a sense it's over depending on what you're willing to do. So unless you start to draw some lines in the sand, you know, and with bodybuilding, maybe it's I don't know. It's it's it, 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 it's almost bizarre. Like in powerlifting, you could say, "Oh, single ply versus multi ply versus raw." That's like in bodybuilding, saying, "Okay, just androgenic steroids versus androgens plus growth hormone versus androgens plus growth hormone plus IGF one and SARM drugs." You know, selective androgen receptor modulators. I mean, there's all this kind of you know this escalation, and I at some point people just they're expecting. Unrealistic things instead of appreciating the human body for what it can look like or what it can do.
1: Oh yeah, and I mean, you look at like guys like Lee Haney, you know, Mister Olympia, eight-time Mister Olympia, and one of the legends of bodybuilding. I mean, this guy was considered until Dorian kind of stood on stage with him in '92, you know, uh, and people were like, "Oh crap, there's you know, there's a new cat on the block here." I mean, he was kind of like the you know the, the standard for size in, in professional bodybuilding as far as you know, what everybody else was trying to attain because he was just so far in front of anybody. And it's funny because you look at his body weights now, and he was like, what, 240, low 240s? Yeah. And don't get me wrong, that's freaking still gigantic by anybody who's reasonable, their standard. But, you know, like I just watched a video the other day with Dennis Wolf, you know, and he was just in the gym, and he looked in pretty damn good condition. And he jumps on the scale, and it said 298, you know? And his he was probably not far off wow. body that than Lee yeah. was. I mean, and, and nobody's really... Freaking about that anymore. You know what I mean? Like nobody's like, oh my god, he's the mass monster. I mean, he's just one of many right. that are, you know, at that kind of level. So you're absolutely right. I mean, and I, I like your whole kind of, um, your commentary about how, how we, I, I think you said you had a, your wow button kind of pressed too, too frequently kind of yeah. a thing. And that's what I, that's what I started this whole thing. By saying is with with things like YouTube and stuff, you're exposed to. I mean, think about it. Twenty years ago, you 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 weren't really exposed to this stuff outside of magazines. Um, But now, everybody can film. You know, uh, they're training at some gym and somewhere, and there's some freak there who's you know beyond elite, and you know they can film it with their phone and go home and post it to YouTube, and then you know some kid in Oregon is just watching it the next day. So. You know, talk about having your wow button pushed too often. So people are just seeing this stuff and they start accepting the fact that, well, that's the standard that I have to be. Right. You know, but they're not taking all these things into consideration. Uh, the, the drugs and, and the federation that's being lifted and, and, and the support gear that's being used and they're not, it's not even that they're not taking it into consideration. They're, they're, and I don't, I, I'm not saying stupid, but they're ignorant to all these things. And so they have no, they have no, um, way to conceptualize how this is even possible. They start saying, oh, well, I can only bench two plates. I'm absolutely pathetic. You know what I mean? I must be, like, the most hard-gaining, um, you know, not-cut-out-for-strength sports person ever. And it's like, well, there's so many things to consider. Right. You know what I mean? And, 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 th- and I think that does a service to a lot of these kids, because it, it actually, I think, dissuades people from wanting to get involved in it, because they're like, well, I don't, I don't want to get my ass blown out of the water here. Well, I,
0: yeah. I want to bring up two points. One is you know i want to qualify when when i talk about drug categories you know speaking about that very flippantly in an analogy with with support gear categories I understand there are different issues there you know ethical issues and things like that but I'm purely talking from a performance perspective you know what matters to a bodybuilder on stage and different drugs do different things to the human physique cosmetically I mean period but and I understand that if someone uses one kind of bench versus another another they're not necessarily having side effects and all that kind of stuff so I was just purely talking about a performance Perspective, you know drawing lines in the sand, but on, on the right. uh, the other thing I wanted to point out though is once or twice now, and we don 't have a ton of time because these episodes are short, we want to answer the question about how strong should I be or what should I be like in order to compete, but um, the other thing was individual differences that you pointed out, and one of the things I think is neat, I just wanted to talk about very briefly this two thousand and nine paper from Journal of Strength Conditioning Research and they were actually looking at strong versus weaker powerlifters, and did did they have anything in their body shape that might predict who was really strong versus not? Well, this is kind of neat right. because this isn't about gear. It's not about drugs. It's just about body shape. And, you know, because you hear people talk about, oh, I have longer arms. I'm a better deadlifter or, you know, whatever it might be. I'm shorter. This makes me a better squatter. And basically what they say here is there are relatively few significant body measurements that were observed that can predict uh, whether you're going to be stronger or weaker as a power lifter. It says, however, stronger lifters had um, upper arm, chest, and forearm girths uh, that were bigger. They had uh, a bigger what's called a, a Brugge index, which, which is chest girth divided by height. So they're very, you know, large chested for their height. I, I think that's interesting. Uh, it says in terms of segment lengths or bone breadth, the only significant difference was that stronger lifters had significantly shorter lower leg than the weaker lifters. So their shins are shorter. Uh, you know, that almost seems kind of odd, but it says because the majority of the significant differences were for muscle mass and muscle girth. It would appear likely that these differences contributed to the stronger lifters' superior performance. Power lifters may therefore need to devote some of their training to the development of greater levels of muscular hypertrophy if they wish to continue to improve their performance. And again, Rob, you and I were talking about this a little bit before. That seems like a no-brainer. But at the same time, there are those power lifters, and we've both seen them, that are relatively thin guys. And they get so focused on being technicians – they forget that, you know, a little bit of brutal size is going to carry them to the next level.
1: And as we've said so many times on Iron Radio, um, if you're a natural lifter, especially, um, you can't be that hung up on on what weight class you're going to fall into. Um, because, again, it's like you can only maximize a certain mass for its potential for strength to, you know, to only a certain degree, at which point you're just gonna have to get some more, you know, some more engine. You're gonna have to add some more engine to the frame. And that's what you're talking about. At some point, and that's why powerlifters and bodybuilders, I mean, as much as it's kind of sport specificity has really become a reality in us, the, the reality is that they're still more closely associated than people, you know, practitioners of either discipline would like to say. You know, powerlifters really do need to focus more on, um, you know, incorporating a lot of bodybuilding for precisely that reason. At, at, you know, adding more quality, um, useful, engine. functional tissue to their yeah. body, more engine to the body. And, 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 and bodybuilders need to focus more on, uh, like the old school way of actually, you know, incorporating multi-joint movements and a lot of free weight kind of stuff and a lot and focusing on a progression towards more strength, which is only going to help in the long run lift more weight for more reps, for more sets, which in turn is going to create, you know, developing their bodies to a larger size, larger mass, what have you. So yeah, very interesting. Right.
0: So I guess back to the question, am I competitive? Uh, well, if you've got, According to some of this research, if you have a little bit shorter shins or you're barrel chested or you have lots of muscle mass, that's sure gonna help. And I, maybe that's a no-brainer. You know, like I said, sometimes the research is catching up. And if you look at these qualifying rankings for the men's classifications in, like, American Powerlifting Federation, you know, if you're a average size guy, let's say 180, 100 to 200 pound guy, you know, and you're benching, squatting, and pulling about 300 let's say three and a quarter in each of those lifts you know you're on the boards you're you're pretty sweet there you're class four uh and again like rob was saying there's lots of things that make a difference between class four and elite and i know rob you wanted to say one last thing about the possibility of being elite raw and clean
1: right Right, and, and just, when I spoke about a year ago to Louis Simmons, of course, of Westside fame, I posed the question to him, because he was talking about how Westside no longer cares about totaling, having, totally people elite, because he says it's just easy to do. Um, I posed the question to Louis, I said, well, what's the possibility, do you believe, do you think anybody's done it, or the possibility that somebody could, total elite, drug free, and raw, and that cost him, for the first time in the whole conversation that we had had, that cost him pause for several seconds. And he, you know, kind of sheepishly was like, well, I guess, I guess there might be a couple guys who can do that. But I mean, that, that tells you right there. I mean, that is open for debate. And certainly, I don't know if I have ever seen anybody do it or heard of anybody doing that. And that again is, in the American Power of African Federation, somebody who could total elite drug-free and raw. I mean, I, and you, you take those two factors out of it, you know, you're taking a, a two gigantic advantages out of the equation. So, you know what? Um, there you go. Yeah, it's fun to play around with this stuff and it's fun to look at it. and It's fun to dream and think and wonder whether you may be the person who can do it. That's right. I know where you're going with that. I'll tell you yeah. what though.
0: <laughs> Cause Fortress might just get close to that. But you know what? I'm, I'm looking at this table. That's elite for a 181 pound to 200 pound guy. You're talking about benching, squatting and pulling almost 600 pounds in each of those lifts. Yeah, Raw absolutely. and clean. Wow. You would be a freaking strength monster. And again, that's, well, for me, and those are not the yeah. real big dudes. That's in the average size, you know, muscly dudes, 180, 200 pounds.
1: Well, that, that would be, for me, that would be, uh, yeah, you're looking at, uh, you know, over two, just over 2,000 pounds. So, yeah. you know, I'm looking at squatting, 750, bench, you know, deadlifting, 750, and benching, 450 or plus. Yeah. Huge. Um, I'll do it. All right. (laughs)
0: We're out of time for this week. Again, this is the Experiments versus Experience podcast. We're a special feature of the uh, Iron Radio feed on iTunes. And we're just doing a follow up show here on, you know, what it takes to be competitive in powerlifting. And again, with a special focus this time with Fortress on the qualifying rankings and what that really means. So I think people can get on the boards, you know, uh, at least class four, class three you know with minimal support gear stuff like you know a belt and some knee wraps or something you can Absolutely. certainly do that Absolutely. and there's no shame in that you know you're rocking because like we're saying to be elite even louis simmons wonders if that's even doable without gear and you know pharmaceuticals
1: yeah. yeah
0: so for uh experiments versus experience this is dr lonnie lowry
1: and this is rob fortune Fort see you next time Iron Radio Behind the Scenes: Simple, cheap one to two dollar downloads. They continue our mission of consumer advocacy and zero to low cost access to strength and bodybuilding information. Want more on top of our always free Gym Talk topics and guests? Get off air juicy conversations with top industry pros disclosed. Get seminar and contest reports before anyone else, and get direct instructional how tos. Iron Radio Behind the Scenes is a brand new product we're offering. Each behind-the-scenes is an audio book about 30 to 60 minutes in length. Each behind-the-scenes book will feature original content that may be about anything. It could be an extended topic discussed on the Iron Radio podcast, an experimental segment, a special raw and unedited interview, an Iron Radio-hosted seminar, a conference report or a competition, an instructional how-to production, educational content provided by Dr. Lonnie Lowry. By purchasing a $1 to $2 behind-the-scenes audiobook, you're helping support the show and getting exclusive content from Dr. Lowry, Phil, and Fortress. Some will even be worth continuing educational credits for your professional organization. Where else can you get CEUs for 2 bucks? We hope you come with us behind-the-scenes.